Hi, I'm Jared Fuller. Welcome to Scratching the Surface. Design and architecture are fields that always must live in context. They are not created from a void and then experienced in isolation. Architects, for example, must understand the scales around their work. On one side, you have the interior, and on the other side, you have the city or the environment. On top of that, there is a set of political, social, and economic conditions that can influence the work. Increasingly, design fields are tasked with navigating a complex series of systems and ideologies, and multidisciplinary work is ever more important. Yet, it can be hard to teach this type of interdisciplinarity. Departments and teams often exist on their own, research projects can get territorial, and academic institutions can produce a sort of sameness as faculty go up for tenure and seek to make their work legible to others. Despite being an environment for free research, academia, at times, especially in the design fields, can almost feel behind the industry. My guest today is someone who has thought a lot about these topics, alongside thinking a lot about how to structure institutions to set them up for this type of expansive research. For the last almost 30 years, Moshin Mustafavi has led architecture and design programs with a focus on collaboration, expansive practices, and interdisciplinary research. From 2008 to 2019, he was the dean of the Harvard Graduate School of Design. Before that, he was the dean of the College of Architecture, Art, and Planning at Cornell University. And before that, he was the chairman of the Architectural Association in London. Moshin's own research interests are diverse, spanning urbanization, architecture's relationship to the interior, ecologies and environmental concerns, as well as technologies and materials. In this conversation, Moshin and I talk about leading institutions as a design project. We talk about the scales of design education and the increasing complexity around these fields, as well as his own interests in pursuing deeper and richer collaborations amongst designers. We start this conversation, however, with his latest project. Moshin recently edited the first English translation of Manfredo Tafori's Modern Architecture in Japan, which was just published by Mac Books. We talk about the importance of Tafori's writing to Moshin, how this connects to his larger current research, and why thinking about the future of cities connects all of his interests. I've been an admirer of Moshin's work for a long time, so this was a real treat to have him on the show. If you like this episode and what we do here at Scratching the Surface, I hope you consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon supporters get bonus interviews, they get full transcripts of every episode, an exclusive monthly newsletter, and more. Head over to patreon.com slash surface podcast to sign up and get immediate access and help support the ongoing production of Scratching the Surface. Thanks for listening, and here is my conversation with Moishin Mustafavi. I want to start actually sort of very briefly talking about one of your latest projects you just edited uh, from from MacBooks, the photography book publishers just launched a, an architecture vertical. And one of the first books was a book that you edited from uh, uh, an English trans, the first English translation of Manfredo Tafori's Modern Architecture in Japan. And your research and your work is expansive. It's about materiality. It's about technology. It's about urbanization. It's about ecology. It's about landscape and climate. I'm wondering about 
to furries and modern architecture in Japan, how does this fit into your interests? Or what is it about this text and, and, and this work that sort of fits into your larger sort of critical project? So um, the book um, of, uh, of Manfredo Tafuri is, is really part of a much bigger research project that I've been working on for the last uh, three years. I'm in my third year or, or three years. And uh, it's, uh, it's a research project that is focusing primarily on Japan and the future, essentially, of Japanese urbanization. With that in mind, I've been collaborating with a number of colleagues in uh, Japan, but I also work with uh, with a few people uh, here at the at the GSD, including some former students, some current students, and uh, we produce um, a website which is called JapanStory.org mm-hmm. under the rubric of of uh, Japan Story, taking a kind of clue from. The Japanese film director Yasujiro Uzu's uh, well-known film Tokyo. Story. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we um, we uh, we uh, on this website have um, uh, examples of our publications, examples of our design research, uh, translations, etc., uh, etc. Et and I, I would be happy to go into it more. But uh, essentially, uh, we have been also translating. Uh, publications, mainly from uh, Japanese text mm. to English. But this uh, text of Manfredo Tafuri uh, is um, from Italian to, uh, to, uh, to English. And it's basically because of the fact that um, there is very little uh, writing that has been done on uh, Japanese architecture and urbanism in a way post uh World War II. There's plenty of stuff on, you know, mm-hmm. contemporary architects, Toyo Ito and Sana and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so Fujimoto and all these architects uh, who are doing uh, great work, but very little that really looks at the, the sort of the most recent history of Japanese architecture and urbanization. And Tafuri uh, wrote this book uh, more or less as part of a, as part of a guidebook uh, in the early 1960s, and um, we can discuss it more. Um, but I was I was very um, enthusiastic about um, uh, you know arranging for a translation and editing it and and writing something in terms of situating this book. So um, so it's the the initial motivation to answer your question is because it actually relates to other work that I'm doing on Japan and on on the the nature of Japanese architecture and especially urban space. I want to come back to the the, the larger project about uh, kind of Japanese urbanism, but uh, I I have one more question about the book specifically, and I think it's interesting what you're saying about how little writing there is about that sort of post-war. Japanese architecture era. And I'm wondering if thinking about publishing this book today, translating this today in 2023, and you're working on a project thinking about the future of urbanism in Japan, what are what are some connections between what he was writing in the 60s and what you're researching and working on looking forward? What do you what do you gain or what did you find in looking back 
that's kind of pushing things forward? Yeah, it's a very interesting question. Lot, lots of things. Um, you know, when I when I when I came across the text, I thought what was interesting, in a way, was um, how Tafuri did a book that um, was much more simple, much <laughs> right. more straightforward right. than uh, than anything else. Uh, than he did because um, you know for for those who are familiar with Tafuri's writing, he, he is a very complex uh, writer. Even or especially in Italian, the, the writing can sometimes be convoluted. It's quite complex, mm-hmm. and also um, interestingly enough, he he probably well I know that he probably afterwards wouldn't quite approve of this book. Uh, and uh, and part of it is that it's a book essentially about history and criticism, mm-hmm. and and really uh, writing um, from the from the perspective of an architect about a body of work in uh, Japan, which he at that time that he wrote the book, um, uh, he wasn't he wasn't even yet thirty. He was very, um, uh, uh, in all, in some ways, interested, uh, enthusiastic about this body of work, um, and and um, this is something that he wouldn't uh, wouldn't do, you know, ten or fifteen mm-hmm. years or twenty years later, where he became very critical of criticism as a field, and uh, and you know, said there is there is only. There's only history and and no criticism. Right. So I was I was personally um, interested in in Tafuri as a critic, in some ways, but Tafuri as someone who also uses writing in relation to uh, contemporary practice because uh, he was also writing this thing um, at a time when. Uh, he was part of the younger generation of Italian architects and was uh, aware of and involved with uh, the group of uh, so-called avant-garde practitioners. But he also had, um, he was moving towards, you know, becoming a full-time or very serious historian. And this book was part of that process, part of that project right. of him trying to become a, trying to become a historian. So I, I just found the, the book in a way on one level, interesting because it 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 provides a certain level of knowledge and certain level of presentation and analysis yeah. that is not so easily available. It's positioning itself uh, in a kind of interesting way in relation to the rest of the work of uh, Manfredo Tafuri, and he, in some ways he also uses this text uh, in order to um, see a kind of um, Parallelism, right. in a way, between avant-garde practices in Italy and Europe, and uh, and the the work of the metabolists. So, uh, so I think all of those things have um, have very interesting um, uh, aspects to them. But you you asked me specifically, you asked the question specifically, 
you know, yeah, I'm, inter- I'm interested in this sort of the history as it relates to the future. And, and if yeah. there are things, you yes. know, he's draw- I, what I think, I guess maybe I was sort of asking you a leading question there, which you've started to, to hint at. What's interesting to me about, about this text is that it does draw these parallels to his Italian context. And I'm wondering if you were seeing parallels between a contemporary context and 2023. Yes, I think that, that in, a, in a variety of ways, uh, Part of it is that I I, um, I I I personally not in total agreement with uh, Tafuri's criticism mm-hmm. of criticism, mm-hmm. of yeah, <laughs> of operative criticism. So in my own work, I've actually tried to use um, writing as a as a form of thinking or as as a way right. of sort of imagining its relationship to architectural practice and I um, I don't uh, quite agree with uh, Tafuri's sort of dismissive tone, especially later on. So this this particular book in yeah. a way is is uh, does provide a certain level of uh, inspiration because of, of the way that it kind of tries to analyze um, uh, tries to analyze the, <clears throat> the nature of practice at that time. And I think we also have been doing that um mm. uh, we also had been reflecting in a way on what has happened you know both uh post uh world war ii but but also in terms of um contemporary practice uh, that's that's one side of it but but i think the other way that this this work is also interesting is in terms of its parallel uh, so um since we didn't find uh, so many uh, publications. There are really uh, two or three um, reasonably good ones, but some of them fairly brief. We mm-hmm. then embarked on trying to use uh, not not only writing, but also drawing. Mm-hmm. Um, by by which I mean by by which I mean design research, design yeah. drawings that would be also a form of history writing by by. Um, essentially understanding the morphology, the history of uh, the development of uh, Japanese urbanization, specifically uh, focusing on uh, Tokyo uh, at the beginning of our research and to see how architectural drawings, for example, could be used to understand the, the, the nature of architectural development, uh, especially since the 19. Uh, yeah. 60s. Yeah. So we we kind of start more or less from the period that Tafuri finishes or ends with, uh, but we also look at, uh, let's say, the work of uh, Tange. He he, mm. he <laughs> never got to include the Olympic Stadium, but we look at sort of those those parts of the city and their evolution, their development, the nature of their growth. So we use the past in some ways as a way to help us think through what the future project of the city might be. Um, but not only through writing, which Tafuri does, we actually do it through drawings, right. which, are, which are sort of analyzing the relationship between history, between the past and the future. And I think, you know, broadly uh, speaking, this question of uh, understanding the past as a way to be in the present, to be projective with the future is sort of part and parcel of how 
how we work, how what the nature of this research is, and and some of the things that I'm I'm personally interested in as well. Well, let me let me ask you this then, because one of the one of the big projects that you initiated when you were dean at at Harvard was the future of the American city, uh, and that that started with. Miami, and then you, I think you did LA, Detroit, Boston. And so it's interesting now hearing about thinking about the future of the Japanese city. I have two questions about that. One, I'm interested in what is it about sort of future urbanism or future cities that uh, interests you so much? And then how does this new project sort of connect to what you were doing when you were thinking about American cities? You know, what is, what is exciting uh, specifically about, um, the question of urbanization in relation to architecture, because I'm not really only studying urbanization. I'm studying or I'm interested in the intersection of the architectural. <laughs> that was my ne- Yeah, that was and my next question. Yeah. So, so maybe I give you a quick answer. Okay, yeah. And then you can ask a, a kind of okay. longer question. We can go into it. So, um, so I think with this, with this particular thing, I, in a way as architects, um, uh, you know, it's really important for us to be working within the context of certain societal transformations, societal issues. Mm. And, um, and, you know, it's impossible in a way to understand the roles and responsibilities of architecture without understanding it or without examining it in relation to the question of urbanization. Um, and you know we've seen uh, in the in the in the last maybe 10 15 20 years uh, at times a sort of disappearance of the discussion of uh, the urban or urbanization um, specifically in relation to the architectural yeah. and I think keeping that tension alive i don't want to be only working at the urban scale but constantly working at these multiple scales of the small scale the really Mm -hmm. small scale and then understanding that within the 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 context of of the question of urbanization seems to be absolutely critical in a way and um you know to go back to tafuri for a second i think that uh, you know, even at that time, age 29, it's very clear that we're dealing with someone who has a deep uh, investment, interest, commitment to the political. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And, and I think that today, for us, one of the ways in which we try to deal, for example, with the future of the, of the Japanese forms of urbanization is really to also understand this uh, this social political realities, yeah. uh, um, uh, social political ec- economic cultural realities of Japanese society and its um, its engagement, its connections to the to the architectural, and I think that will enable us. That has helped us understand. Uh, the role of architects and architecture within this sort of bigger context. And so it's with that in mind that the future of the American city project also became, uh, in a way, relevant and urgent, partly because I felt that as a school, the GSD was involved with, you know, lots and lots of different locations, lots of geographies around the world. 
and and even though we did and we do lots of um, uh, studios research projects uh, focusing on uh, the U.S. and uh, but we 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 didn't really have the same kind of formal um, um, research pedagogical discourse, if you like, um, in 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 relation to that. So we had. Um, a series of opportunities and I think the future of the American city was really um, one way to try and um, suggest that the American city also deserves this sort of specific uh, yeah. attention and uh, and it needs to be bracketed as opposed to like lots of studios uh, you know one is in this city one is in that town and things like that so that's how we started and and frankly the main focus in terms of our my my project has been primarily on uh, Miami even though we have of course been working on other mm. cities and and the office for urbanization that's um, that's led by um, Charles Waltheim has been documenting you know, some of the other right, right. Uh, material um, through discussions, conversations, podcasts, and things like that as well. Yeah. Let's go back to that sort of intersection of architecture and urbanism question for a second. And I want to maybe expand that. And I'll be honest, I'm not totally sure how to ask <laughs> this question. So I'm going to talk a little bit and hopefully a sort of question uh, comes through or, or something that you can kind of think through with me. Because um, what's interesting to me about your work is, yes, you're you are looking at how architecture sort of connects to this larger context of urbanization, which I think you also write about in your intro to the Tafori book about his interest in architecture at the scale of the city. But you also seem to be interested in not just scales outward, but scales inward. And I'm thinking about the 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 Harvard Design Magazine issue about what about the inside and you're interested in interiors and how we talk about interiors. I know sort of early in your tenure there, you were uh, engaged in conversations around interior design programs and industrial design programs and smaller scales. And I'm wondering if you could just talk about sort of architecture as it relates to these other disciplines going up, you know, scaling up and scaling down and how you sort of think through that increased sort of interdisciplinarity there about how we think about architecture and design. Does that, do you know what I mean there? Yes, oh, absolutely. I think it's a really, uh, and in fact, you put it very well. It's a, it's a sort of, uh, you know, it's something that I feel very strongly about because I think more and more, as you know, we have this kind of division between mm -hmm. uh, interior design, architecture, urban, and, and the scale seems to be also producing different levels of expertise and different right. levels of specialization. And in a way, um, architects uh, used to work very much across a range of scales from the scale of the room and pieces of furniture. Uh, so many of the avant-garde architects were also designing, you know, um, pieces of furniture that are, mm -hmm. um, that are still in production and, and all that. So it's true that, in fact, my very, very first and last uh, issues of Harvard Design Magazine were both on oh, right. the inside. So the first one was called "What About the Inside?" One, what, what about the inside? It was basically the last, the last one, and I think that um, that um, 
in the context of design education, in the context of schools of architecture, we never have done enough mm. uh, to look at the interior, to look at the inside. And yet, ironically, the vast majority of architects and especially sole practitioners uh, end up doing nothing else but <laughs> right. and right. insides, and restorations and renovation and things like that. And right. slowly that, that is coming to schools, but schools have always been about exteriority, about the outside, about the picturing of, of, of architecture as something that's always new, not so much about modification, not so much about adaptive reuse, uh, not definitely not so much about the, the question of the interior. So I think this, this issue of, uh, of scales uh, is uh, something that um, is very evident every time we think, for example, about the Japanese house or mm -hmm. about Japanese architecture. So many of the more recent uh, interesting projects by Japanese architects are really dealing with very small scale uh, homes and where because of the scale, there is a level of inventiveness Right. that is required often expressed through the handling of the section of the building uh, which is really discussing a kind of lifestyle and the house the home is really the manifestation of mm. these different types of living and in fact it's uh, it's 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 worthwhile that even tafuri kind of shows at the beginning you know um, um, some diagrams for example of uh, Japanese uh, interior chest of drawers. There's a famous kind of Japanese uh, writer who spent time in Germany and um, and produced these books about the Japanese house and about the Japanese interior. So, in some ways, um, uh, the, the the city, the urban the urbanization uh, provides a context in terms of the multitude, in terms of the many, in terms of the collective in terms of the relationship, social relationships between people, between individuals, and the, the domestic in, environment, the smaller scale, the interior, uh, is much more about certain forms of subjectivity, certain forms of individual expression, different positions, different, different, uh, different uh, types of life, in a way, and the diversity of those and um, the you know, accommodating uh, those kinds of diversity uh, seems to be key. And this is a different uh, position. It's a different approach. It's a different posture to the anonymity of the of mass-produced uh, living, of uh, things being right. all the same, of sameness. So now we have, you know, a, a sort of emphasis and desire really for accommodating difference um, but still within the within the context of a larger collective within the context of a bigger thing so it's not for me it's not just about individuality about personal self-expression only but it's really this relationship between the one and the many the, yeah. the single and the multitude and and i think that the scale question allows you to go from the interior to the city from this from the person in a way to the citizen uh, and I think th those are seem to be relevant um, uh, you know yeah. both in terms of 
everyday life, but also in terms of the academy, because, you know, for example, the academy is not necessarily organized to, to think in those ways or to think yeah. in those terms, you know, so. That was my next question. I was sort of interested in how this way of thinking about architecture, and we could perhaps even expand that to say thinking about architecture and design, how that manifests itself in educational settings. There's this thinking in scales, both up and down. There's this sort of blurring of disciplines. Um, actually, in that episode, in your episode of the Future of American City podcast, where they interviewed you, you talked about designers being kind of conversation conveners and sort of like taking on this activist role, which is, you know, very much in line with what you're talking about now. How does how does architecture and design education start to accommodate these both larger sort of mandates for designers, while also this sort of increased complexity of the projects themselves? Well, often that happens. Um as a matter of a kind of chronology of design education because, <laughs> yeah. um, because in a way people often start with smaller things and uh, more focused uh. and then the complexity of the scale increases and the size of the project sometimes increases as they go along and uh, um, at times it's hard for people to return to um, the time when they were doing smaller scale things or focusing uh, on something that's detailed because of because of this this sometimes I don't think it's it's not I don't want to overgeneralize but there does seem to be a sort of linear thing linked yeah. to scales of complexity and therefore the scale and size of a project from uh, you know the first year of architecture to the fifth year if people are in a BARC program or from first to third or fourth years if they're in a master's program. Uh, and that's 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 one one aspect. But um, I think that um, by putting the emphasis on uh, the interior, for example, by dealing with um, social, political issues, um, by dealing with urban and architectural issues, I think my 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 attempt uh, while I was dean was to basically uh, create or have a school uh, which is um, was sort of uh, you know often constructed under the rubric of of uh, transdisciplinary practices yeah. and yeah. trying to think about the way in which different fields basically also could work together and different kinds of knowledge were important. This after all is how many contemporary practices yeah. uh, work. Um, but yeah. ironically, the academy sometimes, which is supposed to be where research is happening and where there is um, where there is a certain uh, level of kind of experimentation and so on, uh, at times it's behind Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. And contemporary practice, because contemporary practice deals with certain contingencies, certain right. realities, certain demands. And, uh, you know, the structure of the academy is often organized through departments. Uh, departments produce expertise. Uh, the expertise and knowledge of the departments at times uh, produces certain forms of um, self preservation. That makes it harder to start thinking across fields uh, at times. It makes it harder for people who are 
working across one or more, you know, two or more disciplines mm -hmm. to to be accepted uh, and gain, uh, let's say, certain uh, level of recognition which is necessary within the academy. So, so the academy um, occasionally can can have this strange effect of creating uh, borders and boundaries uh -huh. between disciplines, which sometimes in practice uh, or often these days in practice is necessary to to overcome. Of course, I'm I'm exaggerating this a little bit, but I, but I think there is there is a certain grain of truth to what I've uh, what I've experienced. Therefore, to try and organize the academy, try and set up the circumstances of pedagogy in such a way that faculty, researchers are working across different disciplines, not just only in design and architecture and landscape, but also with other disciplines, you know, in the humanities, right. and in the sciences and, and in, in, you know, fields like you know, governance and, and topics like that. I think that's very exciting and that's very um, productive, um, but it's, it's, it's often hard. Uh, you would think yeah. it would be easy, but it's often hard to uh, orchestrate those because people have their teaching and they have their commitments and they have their courses and they have their responsibilities. So anything right. new becomes something that needs new resources, needs money, needs funding, needs time, uh, means a kind of deviation from what people are doing so it's it's at times harder to achieve um but i think we had a very productive uh number of years and um, had a reasonable amount of success for which i'm grateful to those people who were willing to kind of <laughs> yeah. give, it a, give it a go you know? yeah i mean i think you're exactly right though and i think you know i may have I may have actually said this to your successor, Sarah Whiting, when she was on the show, because we talked a little bit about sort of transdisciplinarity also. And, you know, that's really easy to sort of talk about and to want, but then in practice, it becomes much more territorial. And mm -hmm. I think even on the sort of faculty level, there's this sort of uh, impulse and need to make your work legible for committees for promotion for tenure uh and sometimes when you start to work interdisciplinary interdisciplinarily um that becomes a lot harder to do because you're sort of crossing these different things but let's talk let's talk for a second about um about uh sort of administration and organizing the academy because you're someone interesting to me because you were you were the dean at harvard for ele almost 11 years before that, you almost were the dean. Years. Sorry to almost twelve years. Oh yeah, almost twelve. Now, years. Well, you know, when you get to that moment, every every month counts. So, right, I don't you were counting. Count. Yes, yes. Okay, you were you were the the dean at Harvard for almost twelve years. You were dean at Cornell's College of Architecture, Art, and Planning, yes. and then before that, you were the chair of the Architectural Association in London. And so, this is almost thirty year, twenty five years of administration of running schools. And I'm curious, A, sort of how you thought about administration in the context that we're talking about, in the context of transdisciplinary practices, in the context of scales. It seems like everything you're talking about architecturally also applies to designing an institution. Did you think about those positions as design projects? Yes, absolutely. And, and the fact that they were, they were all very different. 
and that they I I never for a moment made the mistake uh, I, I made mistakes but I never made the mistake <laughs> of um, of assuming that you know I had some kind of a template for um, what you're calling administration um, uh, I I actually never thought about it um, as purely administration or as uh-huh. administration anyway um, what I what I what I thought um, because before going to the AA I actually was was well I, I was at the AA I studied there I right uh, right but then uh, at Harvard I was the director of the of the MR one program of the architecture program so I really was lucky to get a certain experience um, here before going to the AA to be uh, the head of the AA and uh, and I think at that time I had to really think about the AA as a school the limitations of that institution you know the structure of um, the faculty the hiring their their mm-hmm. employment terms are nothing nothing to do with what exists at Harvard Right. And so I had to really work within a very different kind of environment. At the same time, that environment, um, despite, let's say, a lot of financial resources, had and has incredible, amazing possibilities and potentials because it's so different in a way than what happens within uh, the context of the American Academy, where uh, you know I had trained there and I was teaching there, where you know uh, all my studios were one year long. I mm. invariably um, together the studios that I taught with with others. I, I we had students that were there with us for two years. Um, you know, that's a very long duration by American standards for, yeah. for a student to spend with one faculty member. But that was in the context of a five-year uh, five program. And so basically, uh, I had to design or redesign uh, the structure of the AA because we'd also, you know, ended a very, very important and productive uh, period with, with the with one of my predecessors, uh, Alvin Boyarsky, who had been super successful, and and you know it's it's hard when you also go in after someone like that, and yeah, and I, yeah. I was I was relatively young at that point, um, and uh, to try and organize a different idea of uh, an institution that thought of itself as being avant garde, and part of it was really for me to to question in some ways the certain assumptions made mm-hmm. by the institution, certain ideas that people had about the, the institution and things like that. And I think we made the, the organization much more, um, uh, much more European in a way for a, for a period of time, very diverse, uh, very much engaged with questions of future practice, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And not only doing, in a way, utopian or visionary projects, but but also engaging with some of the world's most important and interesting people who've become now. I mean, if I go through the list of people, yeah, yeah, who we hired at that time, and I had I, I I sort of invited them to teach, and 
where they are and who they are and, and my students and, you know, my colleagues. I think it was a, it's a wonderful kind of period. And when I went to Cornell, it's a, you know, in upstate New York, in Ithaca, a group of faculty who are amazing, uh, but, you know, they'd also been teaching there for a very, very long time. They were not going anywhere. There's no, it's very difficult to to change uh, the American system just because of this system right. of hiring and, and things like that. It's not that it's not a criticism of anything or anyone, but that, that change is complicated when there people, you know, when you have a lot of people who basically are full time tenured yeah. faculty and things like that. Whereas in London, it's really, it was relatively easy <laughs> right. at that time to, to change, you know, they, the characters or the, the teachers or, you know, the direction of pedagogy. So I, you have to think differently. And in, in, in Cornell, I relied a lot more on the role of, you know, shorter term visitors and the collaboration between the full time and longer term. And the, so essentially, I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with you that this was really a kind of design issue. It's not an administration Thing. administration is part of it, but I had to really think about what kind of work could this institution produce, right. what would be interesting directions to pursue and to really design that, as you put it, to, to kind of think about it as a, as, a, as a particular project that would be done or realized during a very limited or particular uh, time period, because again, as an administrator, you know, you don't, it's not like you, it's, it's not something you want to do or achieve for an institution over a 30 year period. Generally, right. there's a five year framework and, you know, maybe you do another five years or something like that, but that's really, it's a bit like the, the, you know, contemporary politics. People are mayors of a town for four years and yeah. They want to they want to build everything or they want to do everything in the first 4 years so that you know they they have a chance of really <laughs> being, being reappointed and being being dean is a little bit like that as well. The the question of a very limited time frame and realizing things and achieving things within the time frame within a particular time frame is quite uh, is quite important. At Harvard, you know, I um, had the chance and to really connect the school with other schools at Harvard, which I, you know, I really yeah. didn't have enough time. I wasn't at Cornell for that long. Uh, it was a relatively short, um, short tenure there um, before I moved back to, to, to Harvard. But here, you know, just getting the chance to work with uh, colleagues in, in different, uh, right. different schools and being able to set up, you know, a new design engineering program, for example, with the engineering uh, school and, and things like that. They, it was it was it was very different opportunities that that uh, I had, let's say, in London. But then in London, you know, I was able to do other things with uh, with publications, with uh, with uh, you know research platforms like Hook Park and things like that, which is a different story. I'm kind of interested both in you know, I, I want to hear a little bit about what you were thinking about in 1995 and when you took the job at the AA and what you're thinking about now. And that sort of that that balance is not the right word, but I'm interested in sort of, you know, 
your own scholarship, your own interest, while also um, trying to elevate the interest and scholarships of everyone else and sort of how you thought about that balance. And now that you don't have to do that for the first time in a long time, how that has shifted what you focus on and how you work. Yeah, well, I mean, um, in 1995, um, which now is a long, long time ago. (laughs) I know, I know. I'm sorry. (laughs) I had to, um, I was, as I said, um, I was relatively young and uh, I was thrown into this uh, situation where I was really thinking about uh, the building of an institution, Mm. uh, which requires a certain level of uh, self-sacrifice and uh, the the idea of sort of support for other people and the support for the project. Like what kind of work do you want to produce? Uh, or, or you want this institution to produce, and um, and I think I was very focused on that. Plus the fact that I was um, very focused, and I have been, and that has been probably one of my um, my um, I don't know um, weaknesses or or faults, or maybe maybe sometimes mm. it hasn't been. But it's, but I was very interested in means of communication, how mm. institutions also communicate. Uh, so it's one thing, you know, you doing something uh, or working on something, but it's also another thing to find a way to yeah. let the world know what yeah. you're doing and 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 the the, the status, the, the 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 consequence of being able to communicate your ideas was very very important um, for me. And so we invested an enormous amount on exhibitions and publications, yeah. uh, producing all sorts of uh, publications. Many of them, are, you know, um, have become um, collectors. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've, I've tried to buy some of them. <laughs> and yeah, so it's really, we've been very, very lucky yeah. to kind of, but to take that also seriously, to not think about it as some, uh, kind of vanity project or coffee table books. Right. I never thought that really super famous architects, they needed me or uh, DAA or whatever to do more promotion <laughs> for them. So I think we were really interested in ideas, things that were not so well known. And and in a way, the, the, the construction of new forms of knowledge through uh, publications, exhibitions, etc. And um, I think that up until uh, a few years ago, when I was still dean, we really continued that type of uh, practice, albeit in a different way. Uh, here, uh, we did um, did try to think about you know the question of research mm-hmm. and the question of how you build new forms of knowledge. And uh, at Harvard, you know, for example. Uh, one one way we did that by, was by uh, thinking about the the impact that we would have around the world. Uh, that mm. wasn't so um, that wasn't so much part of a project. The AA clearly um, had a lot of visibility at that time, and I remember even when we used to do the end of year projects review books and things like that. They always sold out, you know, in in Asia and places like that. So. Clearly, there were students and younger architects and things like that who knew about what we were doing. 
but we weren't necessarily right. uh, in the world uh, so much outside of London and Europe. I think at, at Harvard, my aim was to be much more geographically diverse, to be, in a way, much more a global school. Not, I don't mean that we were, uh, you know, um, trying to be international and, uh, and in a way, you know, sell our wares to or products or, or go and, and, right, right. and be, be kind of like uh, putting our, our stamp around. It was really to develop a more humble um, position and, and modes of practice where we, we were very keen on sort of understanding what we could learn how we could contribute, who were, who were the people in these different geographies. So starting a, a whole number of research initiatives from uh, obvious places like China and India to the Philippines and Malaysia and Indonesia and, uh, you know, uh, Latin America um, and so many unexpected kind of geographies and places and to then develop a research platform within a design school. So in the US, we're very used to knowing that there is money for um, sciences, but there is very little money in a way for the humanities or uh, art and design. And to, you know, part of our fundraising uh, motivations or initiatives also linked to the idea of approaching people who could, who would be interested in our research project. And then that would allow our students to also travel and be in places and produce a body of work. So the initiative to, to create sort of um, very targeted um, and building on previous kind of uh, experiences of the, of the institution, three-year research projects that produced a series of publications, uh, you know, we could demonstrate our outcome, but we were dealing with these questions of urbanization, architecture, in in various places, I think that that was that was what you know part of your point about the redesign or the design of institutions. Um, I'll just ask you the, the my last question, which is what I used to end all of these. I'm curious what you're reading right now. Oh my God, I'm I'm sort of reading a lot of very different things. So you know, this question means that I I actually have I can answer a little bit. <laughs> also the part of the previous question that I okay. didn't answer. I mean, just so, because my reading, basically a lot of it is uh, directly connected to um, some of the things that I'm right. working on. So I think after stepping down, one of the greatest things has been able that I've been able to do is really to devote a serious time to my own uh, research right. and writing and to be selfish. I think I did, <laughs> I, I did, I did do a lot of uh, publications uh, when I was at the AA yeah. or, or when yeah. I was Dean here. So I wasn't one of, one of the kind of uh, typology of, this is why I said I also didn't, uh, didn't, didn't quite think of myself as, as an administrator, uh, yeah. purely as an administrator, because I think a lot of people go into administration and then that's the end of their, um, productive kind of life. Right, I think that, right. that I tried to to continue that. And I think since I stopped, it's been really to to kind of really realize that I haven't had the sort of time that I want uh, yeah. for a very long time. So there's an urgency and I'm working on uh, you know a variety of different things. So part of it is on 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 
Japan, but part of it is also on this uh, American city on Miami. Mm. Uh, that is uh, that's uh, that's sort of um, happening. And um, there, then there's a bunch of other projects that link to you know my interest on histories of the present, uh, which is one of the courses that I teach. And I am mm -hmm. currently uh, doing um, a research project with a couple of um, of GSD um, students and other people uh, on the work of a French Moroccan uh, architect that came out of one of my my courses. So uh, this takes us to questions of colonialism, mm -hmm. post-colonialism, independence, the before and after. Is the architecture during colonialism worse, better, more interesting, less interesting? What happens? What are these countries oh, that have yeah. gone through a project of independence are are doing? And and as you know, you know, most of Africa uh, went through a sort of discussion or or a procedure of independence between the nineteen a lot of it between the nineteen fifties and the mid nineteen seventies. So this is very interesting, and I, I I'm sort of dying to know more about <laughs> the whole issue of um, of of being under the influence, being under the, right. the rule of a colonial empire, and then being free of that and the pros and cons of these kinds of things. So I, I, I read things related to, to that uh, quite a bit. Uh, okay. lots, of, lots of things related to Japan. And I read a lot of Japanese novels, especially ah. by, by Japanese women novelists. So in one of my classes, I focus a lot on, on, on contemporary Japanese women writers and, and novelists. So I, I read those things, and I also read, you know, trash. I read, I read, <laughs> I read uh, if I can. I read um, European detective stories just to switch off and things of things of that sort. So it's it's. I love it. It's really really uh, varied. It's not. I don't have a single sort of uh, theme that I'm working on, um, but uh, but it's certainly enjoyable. My favorite answers to those questions are when it is the sort of trash European spy novel or something, yeah. and it's not just, you know, some architecture book or, or design theory or something. Yeah. Uh, this was such a such a delight. I really enjoyed this conversation. I'm a longtime admirer of your work. Thanks for taking the time to talk with me. Thanks Thank for being you. on the show. Thank you, Jared. Thank you so much for your time. This episode was recorded on March 22nd, 2023. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Service Podcast. You can support the show on Patreon and find previous episodes wherever you get your podcasts and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening. <laughs>